Our scripture reading today is from the 40th chapter of Genesis in the Common English Bible and can be found in your pew Bible on page 49. Sometime later, both the wine steward and the baker for Egypt's king offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief wine steward and the chief baker, and he put them under arrest with the commander of the royal guard in the same jail where Joseph was imprisoned. The commander of the royal guard assigned Joseph to assist them, and after they had been under arrest for some time, both of them, the wine steward and the baker for Egypt's king who were imprisoned in the jail, had dreams one night. And each man's dream had its own meaning. When Joseph met them in the morning, he saw that they were upset. He asked the officers of Pharaoh who were under arrest with him in his master's house, why do you look so distressed today? And they answered, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Describe your dreams to me. The chief wine steward described his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine right in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And when it budded, its blossoms appeared, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes, crushed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, this is the dream's interpretation. The three branches are three days. After three days, Pharaoh will give you an audience and return you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just the way things were before when you were his wine steward. But please, remember me when you are doing well and be loyal to me. Put in a good word for me to Pharaoh so he sets me free from this prison. I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews and here, too, I've done nothing to be thrown into this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, it was the same for me. In my dream, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. In the basket on top, there were baked goods for Pharaoh's food, but birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Joseph responded, this is the dream's interpretation. The three baskets are three days. After three days, Pharaoh will give you an audience and will hang you from a tree where birds will peck the flesh from you. The third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a party for all his servants. Before all his servants, he gave an audience to the chief wine steward and the chief baker. He returned the chief wine steward to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the chief baker he hanged, just as Joseph had said would happen when he interpreted their dreams for them. But the chief wine steward didn't remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Whoa, that's loud. I'm loud. Welcome. I want to just welcome everyone here this morning. I want to extend a special welcome to our alumni and parents and students 
for this weekend. And I want to thank the alumni office for my new shirt. I got a new SPU shirt, so that's good with the new logo on it. Hadn't had the new logo yet, so appreciate that. If you're a guest with us today, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Resilient. And we're, talk, we're going through the story of Joseph. And so we just heard another part of the story of Joseph. And it ends with this idea that Joseph was forgotten. And, and how do we deal with it when we're forgotten? Uh, how many people here have ever forgotten someone's birthday or anniversary? Yeah, that's what I thought. I had a coworker. Uh, she came to work one morning. It was her birthday. And she came in. I said, happy birthday. It's great to to see you, you know, what are you doing for your birthday? You doing anything fun? And she says, well, I don't know. And I said, well, what, what does your uh, husband have planned for you? And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, does your husband know it's your birthday? This is their newlywed year, by the way. This is their first year of marriage. And I, she said, I don't think he knows it's my birthday. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. So <laughs> So I really cared about, I really care about marriage and I really cared about them. So I went back to my office and I texted her husband and I said, did you know that today is your wife's birthday? And he texted back, oh my, you know, uh, some other things. And he said, thank you. <laughs> like, so I think she had a birthday that evening when she got home from work. So uh, another marriage uh, saved uh, that day. <laughs> So anyway, we think about this, but so here's the good news. If you've ever forgotten something, anything, forgotten uh, keys, whatever it is, cell phone, here's the good news from the scientific community. If you forget, it's a sign of high intelligence. I just read an article this week. I thought, this is great. I forget stuff all the time. I love being told that I'm more intelligent than I think I am. You know, so this is great. So if you're forgetting things, it's actually a sign of high intelligence. What they found is that your brain naturally forgets things. So what your brain is actually doing to help you make decisions every day, to make you, help you focus on whatever it is your task is or to make those decisions, your brain filters out irrelevant information. Right? And so it's, it's letting go of the irrelevant information, and it wants to hold on to the relevant information for you to make that important decision. So whatever it is. So if you're at work, and you're making a lot of decisions at work, or making a lot of decisions in the home, or making a lot of decisions about family relationships, then you're focused on those decisions. And so it becomes very easy for you and I to forget those irrelevant things going on in life. For example, how many people here remember cell phone, uh, remember phone numbers now. If you have a cell phone, do you remember all the phone numbers that you have, the immediate family? I cannot remember my daughter's, both my daughter's cell phone numbers. I could not tell you what they were. But 10, 15 years ago, I had to remember all those phone numbers. Why am I no longer remembering phone numbers? Because it's all in my cell phone. It's irrelevant information now. See how that, and so my brain has naturally filtered out those numbers and forgotten those numbers. How many people, though, remember the number of the house that you grew up in? The phone number of the house? Yeah, right? See? Because that was relevant information back then. You didn't have cell phones, and so that's part of that. So this is what your brain naturally does. The problem is, is that when the birth date and the anniversary becomes irrelevant, right? Because it's irrelevant for that decision, or it's irrelevant for that moment, or it's irrelevant to you for that day, but what is it communicating to the person that really you care about, right? It's not that you don't care about them. In fact, these are things that are important. So it may be irrelevant to the decision, but it's still important to the other person. 
And what we find, where we find Joseph today is we find Joseph on the receiving end of that, right? The forgotten one. He's forgotten. He's in prison. For two years, he's forgotten in this prison. And it's interesting because the whole story is built around dreams. The beginning of the story starts with Joseph having two dreams that he tells his brothers who then get upset with him and beat him up, throw him in a cistern, and then he gets sold into slavery. So it starts with two dreams. Now he's in prison and he hears two more dreams and he interprets those dreams. And if we were to keep reading in the next chapter, we find that Pharaoh, uh, the leader of Egypt, has two more dreams. And Joseph ends up interpreting those dreams. And so we see two dreams, two dreams, and two dreams. The dreams get Joseph into the situation, and actually the dreams get him out of the situation. So somehow God's working through all these dreams. In Egypt, it would, they actually had a manual for interpreting dreams. They found in archaeology that this manual that Egyptians were using for in, how to interpret the dreams. There were 200 different interpretations or ways to interpret dreams in the Egyptian culture. But notice that Joseph has no manual, does he? And in fact, in this chapter and the next chapter, we see when Joseph interprets the dreams, he does two things. One, he, he is totally reliant upon God for the interpretation. And number two, he always gives God the credit for the interpretation. He doesn't say, I can do this. He says, God can do this. And then he gives God the credit for the interpretation of those dreams. And so that's exactly where we find Joseph today, is he gives God the credit for these two royal officials in it, interpreting their dreams correctly. And yet, in the midst of this, even as he's talking to the wine steward, the cupbearer, notice that in the midst of this period of being forgotten, that he's actually asking not to be forgotten. Go back to verse 14. He says, but please remember me when you are doing well and be loyal to me. Notice the connection here between being remembered and feeling that there's loyalty to being remembered and feeling cared for. And isn't that what we naturally feel when we're forgotten? When somebody forgets something that applies to us, maybe your birthday's been forgotten, your anniversary's been forgotten. How do you feel? You feel like well, they don't care, or I'm not important, right? Or they're not loyal to me. Those are the things that we start to think about. So, so Joseph is in this place. He's like saying to him, he's begging him, don't, don't forget me. Don't, don't forget my situation. And then he adds another layer to this because he not only is forgotten, he doesn't want to be forgotten, but notice what else he says. He also says this in the next verse. For I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews and here, too, I've done nothing to be thrown into this dungeon. He's also still, what is, what is, what's still going on inside of Joseph? He still remembers. So he's not forgetting what? The past. He's still remembering the pain of his past. He's still harboring probably some anger and resentment from what was done to him by his brothers and by his family and by the Potiphar and being falsely accused in Potiphar's house, which we looked at last week. And so we're looking at all these things. And so, so Joseph is in this state, and you know this state. I know this state. He's forgotten while at the same time he can't forget. You know that state? You, you, you feel like others have forgotten you, and then there are some things that you can't forget. How many people have ever said, I can forgive, but I can't forget? You ever said that one? Right? See, there's the thing. Again, our brain is working to hold on to those painful moments to help us avoid future pain. And so we hold on to this. And Joseph is still holding on to this. And as much as he's a prisoner 
in prison, a physical prison. He's also a prisoner of his past. He's a prisoner of the pain that he's gone through in his past. So what do you do, right? Have you ever been a prisoner? Not by physical walls, but by some other things, some past pain. How many people have seen the, probably I'm going to assume you've seen the movie, well-known movie Forrest Gump. Remember Forrest Gump? How, who's got a quote? I'm going to put it out. Who's got a Forrest, Go, a Forrest Gump quote this morning? Who's got one? Run for it. Right, there you go. All right. That, that's one of them, right? What's the other one? Stupid is stupid. Does. Life is like a box of chocolates, right? So these are all good quotes. So there's a quote in the movie that's a powerful quote that doesn't often get mentioned. And I want to take you back to that movie, that scene in the movie where uh, uh, Forrest is with his childhood friend Jenny. And they go back to her abandoned childhood home where she was abused. And they're in the field outside the home and they're sitting in and she's remembering the pain of her past, right? And then as she's there, she begins to, all this anger comes up in her and she begins to pick up rocks and she begins to throw rocks at the house. Do you remember that scene? You remember that scene if you've seen the movie, right? And there's a, well, there's a great line that Forrest delivers after she collapses in exhaustion to the ground and she stops throwing rocks. And Forrest says to her, sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. I think about that. That's, that's, we feel that, right? That, that pain of the past, that whatever's happened to us. Sometimes we think there just aren't enough rocks. And I think about that's where Joseph is. I wonder how many rocks Joseph wanted to throw at his brother's at Potiphar's household, what was going on inside of him? Because he was forgotten, but he wasn't able to forget. And you know, one of the things I would suggest to you, one of the ways out of that prison, not the physical prison, but the, the, the painful emotional prison, is actually forgiveness. One of the things that Scripture teaches us is this, uh, this ability, this opportunity we have to forgive and I think about the only way out of that prison is really to start to forgive someone or to forgive that situation. It doesn't mean that you, you're saying it's okay that that happened. You're not, you're not doing that. What you're simply doing when we forgive is we're making a decision to stop throwing rocks. We're just making a decision to put our rocks down and stop throwing them to try and get even, to try and hurt the other person, that we're just going to forgive. We're going to let go of that need to get back. That's, the part of, that's part of forgiveness. And I think we see, we're going to see that through the Joseph story. This Joseph story is not over yet. The end of his story is not coming. As we go through the next couple weeks, we're going to look at the end of the Joseph story, and we're going to see how Joseph is able to forgive. And that resolves the pain of his past. But again, we get ahead of ourselves. I also wonder, what was Joseph's prayer life like? Two years in prison, forgotten. No answer. Silence. I wonder about his prayer life in those two years. I wonder if he prayed something like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 13. How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart? Daily? Is this my state for the, every day for eternity? Is this my state going day after day after day? Can I, is this ever going to change? But imagine, what's the answer that he gets for two years? 
silence. No answer. For two years, nothing. Let me ask you a question. How many of us have ever spent two years praying about anything? I don't know about you, but I'm a microwave prayer. You know, I want prayer to be answered the way I cook my frozen vegetables. You know, we want that immediate answer. We want that immediate response. We want God to answer on our timetable, like five minutes from now, God. Like in that moment that I pray the prayer, I want the answer. Do you ever, is that you too? And sometimes the answer doesn't come. For Joseph, the answer didn't come for two years because God's on a different timetable than we are. Part of being resilient is understanding that God's got the long view, that God has got the big picture, and that God's timing is not always our timing, that my timing is not always the best timing. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> that sometimes that the way I want things to work out isn't always the best way to go about things. Imagine that Joseph Israel, let's, let's go back to the story. Let's, let's, let's pretend, let's imagine for a moment that when the wine steward gets back to Pharaoh's court, gets back into his position, that he immediately goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, Pharaoh, this guy Joseph I met in prison, he's a great guy. We need to, would you consider pardoning him because he's the one that interpreted my dreams and if you would let him out of prison, right? So imagine the wine steward does that immediately following uh, this the situation. I would, I would imagine that at that moment in time, Pharaoh has no reason to pardon Joseph. You know, the wine steward could have gone back and the Pharaoh, you know, we could have said, well, Pharaoh could have worked. But in, from Pharaoh's point of view, from that human point of view, he had no reason at that moment to pardon Joseph. It's not till two years later that he has a reason to pardon Joseph. And it's in that moment and in that timing that Joseph is pardoned, not at the moment that Joseph wants to be pardoned. Does that make sense? That Joseph, what's Joseph's timetable? Get me out of here now. What's God's timetable? I'm going to wait two years because I've got a better moment for that to happen. Do you like that idea? <laughs> no. We don't like that idea. We don't like that idea. But God's timing is the best timing. You know, Jesus taught us, to this. he said this phrase, and it often confuses people. He says, I want you to, he said to his disciples, I want you to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. Why does Jesus say wise as serpents? Because all the way, everywhere else in Scripture, serpent is not a good uh, image, right? Why does Jesus use that? One of the things about serpents is they know when to strike. A serpent knows about timing. And when is the right time to strike and when is not, and when's the time to hold back and not strike? To be as wise as serpents is actually a part of wisdom. To be wise is to know the right time. You've actually heard some Proverbs that come out of the Scripture. You know them by heart. One is, fools rush in. How many people have heard that proverb? Fools rush in, right? What's, that, what's, that, what's the issue? Timing, right? If you, go, if you jump too quick, you're going to be foolish, right? You've also heard this proverb. He or she who hesitates is lost, right? What's that about? Timing, right? 
timing. If I hesitate, if I don't jump in, if I don't rush, I'm going to miss an opportunity, right? Which is it? Which is the right one? It's about timing. It's about having the wisdom to know when to, be, when to hesitate and when to, when to not hesitate, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge, how to apply that timing. Who has the wisdom and the best picture on timing? God. So even though it may not be how I want, I want God to rush in. Whereas God may be saying to me, if I hesitate, if I, uh, if I rush in, if I'll be a fool. <laughs> right? So what God is doing is working out the timing. And that's part of resilience. Do we trust God with the timetable of our lives? Joseph was trying to figure that out, but he doesn't see it till later, and we'll see it in the next couple of weeks. But my question for us today is, do we trust God's wisdom in the timetable, in the timing of answering our prayers? Do we trust God? Because notice this, that even though Joseph feels forgotten, God has not forgotten Joseph. God has not forgotten the dream that Joseph had when he was 17. God has not forgotten the promise that was made to Abraham that through Abraham and Abraham's offspring, they would be a blessing not only to their own people, but to all the nations. So in the same moment that God is able to see Joseph in prison, God can also see nine years ahead to the famine that's going to occur in Egypt and how people from every nation are going to come to Egypt for food. And because of Joseph's leadership, they will be a blessing to all the nations during a famine nine years later. God can see both time points in time at the same time. God's got the timing. God knows what's going on. God has not forgotten Joseph. Whenever you feel forgotten, know that God is still for you. Know that God has not forgotten you, that God has not abandoned you, that God has not forsaken you. I thought I'd share a story this morning uh, of an alumni from SPU. Uh, her name, and I'm going to thank my, my uh, researcher, Adrian Myers, for this one. Thank you. Um, in uh, her name is Zhou Enying. She was born in China, and she was a little girl, and her family uh, abandoned her. And she was abandoned in uh, somewhere in her province, and then a farmer came along and thought she was a boy. So the farmer and his wife took the child into their home thinking the boy, there was a boy child and they could sell the child at this time. This was at a time when this was done. And to sell the child and make some money from that, they got brought her home and discovered she was not a boy and they couldn't sell her. Then they tried to give her away and they could not give her away. For five months, she lived with the farmer and his wife. And in those five months, at the end of five months when, she, when she, they discovered her, she weighed seven pounds after five months with the family. So think about that. That was the beginning of her life. Had God abandoned her? I don't know. And then along came a free Methodist missionary. 
Her name, was Edith, her name was Edith Jones. She was a missionary in China. And she came and she found her and she named her Laura. And she gave her the name Laura Jones and she adopted her and took her into her family and be, continued to be a missionary in China. And over time, she grew up, uh, uh, Laura grew up in China. And then when Edith had an opportunity to go on furlough to the United States, uh, she took Laura with her on furlough to the United States, where Laura entered college at Greenville College. She started out there, and then she transferred to Seattle Pacific College at the time and, and got her degree or got her degree at that time from Seattle Pacific. At the end of her time here in the States, she was offered a teaching position at University of Washington, which she turned down. And the reason she turned it down was because she knew there were more little girls in China. And there were other people in China that she wanted to share the gospel with. And so instead of taking a job here, she went back to China to be a missionary. She adopted three girls of her own and raised them. And when she went back, though, she did this while the Japanese were in power because when she went back, this was during World War II, she actually went back during a time when Jap the Japanese army was occupying China and she worked under that rule and that regime at that time. And then she continued to do her missionary work until 1959. And what happened in 1959, I won't go through all the history, but the communist government took over in 1959. Unfortunately, Laura had ties to the U.S., and so she was put in a prison, into a labor camp. She lost connection with her daughters. She lost connection with the Western world. And she was there for 20 years. 20 years. You think two years is long? For 20 years, she was forgotten. She talks about at one moment in those 20 years, she actually got a Christmas card from somebody in the West. Some of her friends thought she had died, that she had been killed by the government. But someone decided, I'm gonna send this Christmas card to this old address for some reason. And that card got to her in prison. And she said, I began to weep tears of joy when I got that card because somebody, what? Remembered me. I'm not forgotten, right? You think there's not power in sending that note, in sending that card, in saying that word, in giving that word of encouragement when someone is trapped in a prison, whether it be physical or emotional? There's power in encouragement. There's power in helping people remember they're not forgotten by God's people. So think about that. But interesting, that's not just why I wanted to share your, her story. I wanted to share this quote with you, her, she was, uh, she was eventually freed from prison 20 years later and all charges against her were dropped. She received an honorary doctorate degree from SPU in 2004 and alumni of the year award in 2007. Here's what she said about her 20 years in prison. She said, being in prison during the cultural revolution was like being in a cave during a storm. The Lord protected me. The Lord protected me. She trusted God's timing. She trusted God's faithfulness. She was able to look back at 20 years in prison and say, this was the Lord working in my life. 
So whatever prison you see yourself in today, can you pray the rest of the prayer of the psalmist? Let's go back to Psalm 13. Remember, it started out this way. How long will you forget me, Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Here's the end of the psalm. But I have trusted in your faithful love. I have trusted in your faithful love. See, when we're in those places like Joseph, it's okay to pray both those prayers. It's okay to say that prayer, God, are you forgetting me? Are you forgetting something? But it's also important when it comes to being resilient to pray the rest of the prayer that I'm going to trust God in your faithful love in this moment. It's also interesting that as we come to this communion table this morning, that when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, what did he say? He said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Don't forget what I'm doing for you. Don't forget what I've done for you because this is a reminder of God's faithful love to you, that God is not giving up on you and that God has not given up on you in Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you today as you come to the communion table today to remember that you are not forgotten by God, to remember that God's faithful love is still at work in your life today. Let's pray together.